0: Welcome to our podcast today, which is five ways our employees drive us crazy and what to do about it. Before jumping into the topic at hand, our first topic, I wanted to go over some statistics. What are the costs of poor leadership? Most organizations are operating with a 5 to 10% productivity loss that better leadership practices could eliminate. And this is a statistic from the Ken Blanchard Companies. The cost of poor leadership is loss of annual sales. The statistics show that there is a loss of 7% of total annual sales due to poor leadership. There's also a loss of 9 to 32% of voluntary turnover due to poor leadership. And then finally, there's a loss of 3 to 4% of customer satisfaction scores due to poor leadership. I actually think in 2022, that is probably much higher than when these surveys were actually taken because of what has been happening in our world. So better leadership can increase your sales. And if anything, that is what the C-suite should be worried about. Let's talk about another statistics before we jump into the topic at hand. This is from the Gallup State of the American Workforce report. And they polled one million U.S. workers and they concluded that the number one reason people quit their jobs is a bad boss or immediate supervisor. Fifty percent of workers who voluntarily left their jobs did so because of their bosses and not the position itself and not the pay itself. In spite of how good a job may be, people will quit if the relationship with their manager is not healthy. So the bottom line is, when you name the wrong person manager, nothing, and I mean nothing, fixes that bad decision. Not compensation, not benefits, nothing. So ask yourself while you're listening to me over the next few days, do you have a leader who needs to change? Is it you? Really think about that. Why don't people want to change? Why don't they want to look in the mirror and say, I need to change? Could it be they don't know that they are the problem? Could it be they don't know how to fix the problem? It might be that they're proud to admit, too proud to admit that they are the problem. And they actually may believe that they're just not good enough, but want to appear perfect, you know, winging it. So dear leader, you might be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. That's a note from your team and from the HR lady too. Let's get back on topic here and discuss five ways employees drive us absolutely crazy and what to do about it. The first way is that employees don't listen. They just don't listen to us. They don't follow directions. They never follow up on my requests. They forget information. Why is that? Maybe you're talking at them rather than with them. Perhaps you're giving them too much detail or not enough at all. Or maybe you're using complicated terminology. We're human beings, not robots, so there's not one solution to the question, how do we get people to listen? We kick off this series today discussing communication strategies for managers. Half the battle of getting people to listen to us is learning how to communicate with them, again, with them, not at them. I have this video that I do when I do some live speaking, and I, I wish I could show it to you right now, but it's if you're ever at uh, a roundabout, I'm in Florida, and we have these things called roundabouts on the road, and so you don't have to all stop at a four-way stop sign, and it's this big circle. Well, I I dare you to use your, you know, your Google Maps or Waze, whatever you're using, when you're going through a series of roundabouts, because I did this test. And two roundabouts, literally within two blocks of each other, I got completely different directions to go straight. I thought about that. I'm like, is that what we're doing to our employees? We're giving one employee one set of directions or instructions, and then we're changing those instructions for another employee. Or we're doing it to the same person, and we're giving them completely different instructions, even though they mean the same thing. So make sure... You know, next time you're on a road and you're at a roundabout, you listen to those instructions and hopefully you'll get a kick out of it after hearing me and say, you know what? She's absolutely right. Why are we making this so complicated? People process information differently. So you have to deliver it to their level, not to your level. We always make it about us and not about them. You know, so you should be saying things like, I want to make sure that we're on the same page because I'm not the best communicator. Can you explain to the team or to me what we just agreed upon? And make sure you don't make it sound like they're an idiot. Second, shut up and listen to them. Don't use sarcasm. Don't talk down to them. Remember that people process information differently. And so your instructions may be completely mind-boggling to them. It's your job to get them to listen. So how do you do that? I want to take you down a little path here about active listening. And... Communication starts with active listening. So again, that means you have to listen. Of course, they have to listen too. But if you're listening to them, they will eventually listen to you. However, unlike conversations with friends who just need a listening ear when they vent, Business communications require careful attention and crystal clear clarity. Consider how you interact with it, with others at work, even if they're not your employees, so that they can both listen and be heard. Listen. Do not do all the talking and then clarify and summarize. For some people who may be upset and they're coming into your office or your workspace, One of two things I find happens uh, is they either have what I call a word vomit and everything comes out, or they barely say anything, right? And then you have to drag it out of them. Uh, With either one of those situations, what I would do is grab a pen and paper and start jotting down notes. Now, you have to be careful with this because you want to make sure you're still listening. So if you're that type of person that can't type take notes and listen at the same time, then do not take the notes. Uh, Make sure that you take them after the fact and you clarify by the end of that conversation. If you are a person who can multitask and can listen and take notes, Make sure that you do take notes, but let the person know that I am listening to you. There's a lot in this conversation. I'm going to take down notes so that we can recapture this at the end of this conversation. I also like to put away my phone and close my laptop so that they know that I am truly focused on them. You know, but let's face it, sometimes when they're walking in your office, it's not the right time and you just need to tell them that this is not the right time. I don't have time right now. I'm rushing off to a meeting. Can we readdress this in an hour? Don't kick the ball so far down the court though that you never address it with them. I want you to write down the word listen, L-I-S-T-E-N, and then we're gonna make an analogy for each one of those letters. L is look interested. And like I said, this is very important to not be multitasking while somebody is talking to you, especially if they have a problem that they're hoping, hoping that you're going to resolve, right? So look interested. Put away your phones, laptop, make sure your concentration is on them. The I is inquire, inquire with questions. Try not to make it always yes, no answers because if somebody is nervous of already speaking to you for whatever reason, you may not get the full details. So I like to ask more detailed questions that are not just going to be a yes, no answer. The S is stay on target. This is difficult when somebody may be upset because they may be bringing up things from two years ago. This is where you'll grab your pen and paper, and say, okay, we're going to talk about this one problem right now, and keep redirecting them back to that issue. The T is test for understanding. This is important if they are nervous, uh, if they're a shy person, they may be losing the conversation altogether. If that's the case, you stop right there, and you go backwards and start inquiring with questions again. The E in listen is evaluate the message. Now this is hard if you're not in front of the person. It's not impossible, but it is hard. It's easier to see somebody's body language if you're in front of them, or possibly maybe on a Zoom call. And so if it's something that is super serious, I would really ask you to make it as as in-person as possible, or on the phone is the next best option. If you're doing text or email, you're not gonna be able to evaluate their body language in that message. And then finally, the N in listen is neutralize your feelings. Just because you've had a bad experience with this particular person or employee in the past doesn't mean that they're coming to you with invalid information. So neutralizing your feelings and possibly your facial expressions is very important as well. There's a huge importance of understanding Nonverbal communication skills. In fact, 55% of our communication is actually nonverbal. 55%, that's huge. Gestures, posture, facial expressions. Now we have this thing in our COVID era with face masks. And if people are wearing face masks, that may hinder your nonverbal communication skills. So just keep this in mind. Vocal elements are also incredibly important. So 38% of our conversation skills. Our vocal elements. So, you know, the pitch, tone, rate, uh, the rhythm of somebody's voice. The actual words that we are saying are only 7% of our communication skills. This is so important to know because, again, if you are mostly using text message, social media, email with your coworkers or your teammates, then you are missing all of these categories here. The communication pyramid is also very important to know. Uh, so we have these these uh, intimate communication, and that is face-to-face. That's the most intimate form of communication you can have. The next most intimate is video or video conference. And then it gets a little less intimate. Not that I want you to get intimate with your employees, but you know what I mean. We want to make sure that we talk to the other people that we work with as human beings. So the next best option would be phone conference. Uh, Once you get into, again, the instant messaging, text, social media, and then email, it's very, uh, you know, non-human. And we start getting some conflict in there. We're going to talk about conflict in a future podcast series. I want you to also stop and think about the team that you're working with and how their personality styles, no, scratch that, how your personality style affects communication. You need to know your style, and we're going to go over that in a second. Then you need to maybe guess and learn the styles of others. You're not going to actually be able to truly learn it unless you do an actual assessment, but I'm going to give you some information today that may help you figure it out. Most importantly, you need to know your triggers and be prepared to handle them. Why? Because you have to remember it's not about you. It's about everyone else, especially if you're a leader. So I like using the DISC personality assessment. It's super simple and easy, and it's a derivative of Myers-Briggs. Let's dive into the personality style method called DISC. There are four main styles, D, I, S, and C. This is the method I prefer to use. It's what I'm certified in. And I just think it's super simple and a great way to say, hey, what is my style? And that, that means I now have to figure out what my coworker styles are too so that I can adjust my style, not expect them to adjust their style. So grab a pen and paper, draw a circle. At the top of the circle, write outgoing. At the bottom of the circle, right reserved. On the left-hand side of the circle, write tasks. And on the right-hand side of the circle, write people. And that's basically what these styles are focused on. So the D and the I are on the top. So the D is on the top left. And it's a super outgoing person who is task-oriented as a priority. On the top right of the circle is I. And that's a super outgoing person who is people-oriented. On the bottom right of the circle is the S, and that is somebody who is more reserved, but they are people-oriented as a priority. And then on the final corner, so to speak, of the circle is a C. They're on the bottom left, and they are reserved people who are very task-oriented. So... Figure out where you are in that. I mean, I truly think you should do an assessment. You can contact me. I can help you. There's a lot of people out there that can help you. This is a derivative, as I mentioned, of Myers-Briggs. So it is scientifically legit. But doing these have changed my entire world. Um, If you are a deep personality style, and there's sub-styles in between all of them. So there's actually 16 styles. But there's D, D, I, D, C, for example. So there's three Ds. But if you're a D personality style, again, you're going to be outgoing and task-oriented, but you're going to be very dominant. Your your focus is on results, you are a driver, and you're usually competitive. If you are an I, an influential personality style, you're also going to be outgoing, but you're much more people-oriented. Your focus is on inspiring people, being enthusiastic, and possibly persuading people to do things that you want them to do. If you are an S personality style, a stabilizing person, you are definitely people oriented, but much more reserved. And your focus is on being amiable in groups, democratic, and you have a lot of patience. And then finally, if you are a C personality style, you are definitely conscientious and cautious. You're much more reserved than the top styles and you're task oriented. These folks are very, very systematic and detail oriented. There's a personality style for every role. You don't have to be a specific personality style to work in a role, but it tends to work out that way. If you're interested in knowing more about this, feel free to grab one of my books, Suck It Up Buttercup, and I explain it a lot more in there. In fact, for the D's and the C's, I actually have a free activity for you on my website. And why do I have it for the D's and the C's only? It's an activity to get the D's and the C's to be more people-oriented, because the D's and the C's are naturally focused on tasks as a uh, priority. So I encourage you to download that and work on yourself. Remember, you could only change yourself, not anyone else. On the same topic of communication, let's talk about generations, Uh, There are a lot more myths than facts in the news about generations in the workplace. So generations is ages. And we're not really supposed to talk about ages at work, but we do. We do it anyways, and we, we put people in these boxes because of their age or their generation. But what I have found out is that people are much more alike than different regardless of their age. The world has changed basic needs and desires of employees have changed so regardless of the age the world has changed and that's why generations are differently different no one fits into a neat box though regarding personality styles age generations ability disability degree experience etc you have to make sure you take in everything with a grain of salt in treating people like an individual and not putting them in a box as i mentioned i said that I found out that more people are the same. Well, it's not just me, it's the scientists as well. Research by IBM measured generational differences in attitude toward three key workplace engagement drivers. And guess what? The results barely differed based on which generation answered this. And that was on future vision of the employee and they want to know what the future vision of the employer is. Growth and development, everybody wants it regardless of their age. And recognition, everybody desires it. They might desire it differently, but they do desire it. So again, don't get so caught up in generations or age because there's a lot more things that are alike than are different. But I'm going to go over generations real quickly just so you understand if you hear these terminology out there. The first that we're going to talk about that's still in the workplace is baby boomers, and they were born 1946 to 1965. And the reason I say that age range is there's no scientific uh, category that says, you're a baby boomer, here's the age that you are. Somebody made this up and we all ran with it. And so you might hear some of the actual dates vary a little bit. But the major characteristics of the majority of baby boomers, again, remember everybody's different, is job loyalty, self motivation, high work ethic, being competitive, and willing to make personal sacrifices for professional successes. Again, take a lot of this with a grain of salt because every single human being is different. Uh, The biggest thing that any baby boomer right now is dealing with, if they're still in the workplace, is they may not have saved money for retirement or they may have lost it in one of the many crashes. Then there's Generation X. They're about 1965 to 1980. Their major characteristics of the group as a whole is being efficient, direct in their communication style. Remember, not all personalities are direct, so take that with a grain of salt. Adaptable to new technologies, independent, steady, and dependable. Let's focus on the independent for a second. Most. Not most, but many Generation X as kids were latchkey kids. And so they had to get themselves off to school in the morning and back to school in the afternoon, do their homework, have dinner ready before mom or dad came home also many Generation X may have be, may be in a single-parent home. And so that was something that's very new. Now, the cool thing is, because I'm Generation X, so I think it's really cool, is being the latchkey kid gave us a lot of freedom. It also gave us a lot of flexibility to figure out how to do things absolutely last minute before mom and dad walked in. So you know, this is where the flexibility started coming in when we're hiring Gen X, is they've already been dealing with it a lot of their life. And even if it wasn't a single-parent home, uh, it was definitely two parents in the workforce for most Generation X kids. Then we move on to the Millennials. I always joke about the Millennials when I'm talking to Millennials. I'm like, don't worry, another generation's coming along soon and they're going to make fun of them. And we're here, we have Gen Z, so we'll talk about them in a minute. Millennials are about 1981 to 1996 as their birth years, and their major characteristics are co- being competitive definitely tech-savvy. They're in a tech-savvy world. Uh, They can figure out most technology, maybe not behind the scenes, but they know how to use it. They're very achievement-oriented. We made sure of that, right? And we made sure that we gave all these awards based on everything possible, including just showing up. It's not their fault. It was our fault that we did that to them. And then we're blaming it on them that they want an award for everything. They are very focused, though, on work-life balance. And here's a reason why. The millennials are the generation that got hit with every recession in the past 20 years, uh, 30 years, really. Uh, They've got hit with everything possible, including 9-11, COVID, the recession before 9-11. And so when they were coming out of college with these, you know, seven-year degrees because we made them go back to school a million times, there was no jobs for them. And then we wonder why they don't have the experience. Well, they don't have the experience because they piece together gig work and part-time jobs or just a job to make money. And so go easy on my millennials, okay? Get to know them as human beings and make sure that you're giving them unique work experience because they may need it and they're going to work very hard for you. And then finally, our current generation, which I'm going to dive into a little bit more because not many people know too much about Gen Z and why would that we, some of them are still in elementary school. They are the first true tech natives. Uh, Their generation started about 1997, depending on which resource you're looking at, and they've never known the world without the internet. So how interesting is that? Um, Their major characteristics of the ones that are in the workforce right now is that they are very diverse. Um, They love diversity. They're open-minded and progressive. They think the rest of us are crazy not being open-minded and progressive. And they're right, by the way. They're very tech savvy, individualistic and creative, and they're self-directed. So a little bit more about Gen Z. uh, There's a lot of myths out there, you know, hint, there's a lot of myths out there about every generation. Even the information that I gave you is, you know, it's just, again, I I can't say it enough, take it with a grain of salt, because a lot of this stuff is different based on somebody's maybe personality, what country they grew up in, you know, how they grew up, things like that. But one of the first myths about gen z which is the incoming generation to the workforce is that they only want to freelance and do gig work and that's not the case of the people that are in the gen z generation and are in the workforce only four percent of them are actually in freelance and gig economy the, you know, a lot, a lot of people ask me why. My answer and many people's answer is student loan debt. We made sure they went to school and then they got no jobs and everything crashed again. And so in order to be a freelancer or a gig economy um, as a full-time position, that's probably not going to pay for their student loans. Now, many Gen Z may be also having part-time or side gigs to be making extra money. The second myth about Gen Z is that they prefer only remote work environments, and that's absolutely not the case. That's not the case with anybody. You just have to ask your individual employees if they want to be working remotely, and maybe they only want to be working remotely two days a week. Um, the thing with Gen Z is they actually do like human interaction and in-person collaboration, because and remote arrangements don't always provide that. They should. We're getting there, but they don't always provide that. The third myth that I want to talk about Gen Z is they don't want frequent feedback, and that's absolutely not the case. They don't want micromanagement, but they do want feedback. They want to make sure that they're independent and they're going in the right direction. So making sure that you are giving frequent feedback is very important. We're going to be talking about that in another session. And then the fourth myth is that Gen Zs want to work alone, and that's not the case. Refer back to the personality styles. They may want to work alone. They may not. How are you going to know? Hey, how about ask them? It's pretty simple. And that goes for every generation. And then finally, the fifth myth about Gen Zs is to avoid in-person communications because they're so tech savvy that they'll just handle text messages or emails instead of an in-person communication. And that's not the case at all. They actually want the face to face and maybe a remote face to face so that may they make sure that the message that you're trying to convey is actually the message that they're receiving. So I encourage you to be open minded about all the generations and make sure that you understand that everybody's an individual and their personality styles matter, their generations matter, their education matters, their work experience working somewhere else matters. Um, Labels might help, but they actually can harm people. Uh, We're all judgmental. It's natural, but check your judgment and ask, why do I feel this way about X person? Your action plan should be thinking about what we just discussed and writing down what skills do I need to focus on developing first? What skill or activity will you practice over the next 30 days? And are you going to trust somebody to hold you accountable to practice that? Our next session is going to be about the second why people drive us crazy at work. They make so many mistakes. I have two books, which you can find on Amazon or on thehrlady.com. Thank you for joining the HR Empowerment Podcast